You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host of the show. The guest on episode 47 of Feel Free to Deviate is singing, songwriting, guitar playing, creative person, Tom Sturm. Our paths originally crossed in the late 90s when he moved into a house with a bunch of my friends. He's a musician, and as many parents of musicians have noted over the years, making money as a musician can be challenging. Because of that, he currently works as a content creator at Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton, Massachusetts, but he always seems to have some sort of project for himself or anyone who will listen. I don't think we talked about it, but I'm pretty sure he even wrote a young adult novel at some point. Anyway, he's been making stuff since he was a kid, and as far as I can tell, he doesn't plan to stop. And I'm not talking about being a hobbyist. Sometimes people are quick to call something you don't earn your living at a hobby. That's a pet peeve of mine. In this case, as in many others, it's not a dalliance. Tom is all in. The episode is a long one, so don't forget that you can pause and come back if you need to. It's, it's worth sticking around until the end. So get a beverage or settle into whatever you're doing. This is my conversation with Tom Stern. The way I usually start off is by asking people, how do they identify in the world? Mm, that's an interesting question. You know, I don't really have opportunity to tell people that off that often. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think primarily what I identify as is just sort of a creative person. So... I try to make every aspect of my life sort of have some element of that, you know, be it writing or recording music or or doing any sort of audiovisual stuff uh, for work, web management or uh, video production. Sometimes um, my day job is changing dramatically. I'm kind of in a, a uh, sort of transitional period a larger company sort of bought the company i work for so now i'm kind of is that the um, advocate still no no i so i worked for the last seven years for cooley dickinson hospital doing all that managing their website and doing just a whole bunch of stuff but they've been gradually taken over by mass general brigham in boston you know mass general brigham is huge has something like eighty thousand employees and owns like a dozen hospitals and you know, still theoretically a nonprofit, but, um, you know, a, a huge, you know, the largest <laughs> employer in the Lots Boston of nonprofit. area or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but the weird thing is that like everyone there is all specialized and I've just been this utility player out here. So, um, there's not really a place for me there. So they asked me at one point, well, what do you like to do best? And I said, well, I guess I, I like to create content the best. That's the That was one yeah. of the options they offered me. But then they sort of, they were like, all right, well, that means you won't be doing any of this anymore. And you're going to end. And it still sort of remains to be seen what creating content is going to mean at the new job. But um We'll see. I mean, I do think they they value me and and understand that I've been at Cooley for a long time. And right. So we'll see. But then there's my creative life where I, you know, I just sort of in the in the cracks of time in between that and being a dad and and uh, upkeeping a house and et cetera, et cetera. I get to keep working on my creative stuff, be that finishing another screenplay or another album or another uh, whatever else I'm doing at the time. I've made a, a couple videos. I, I painted a whole 
room in my basement with the green screen paint and uh oh nice made a couple of videos and pro hopefully we'll make some more that's a, that's a little labor intensive too like editing video but um, yes one of my other alter egos is snack beard the pirate which is the album i put out a few years ago that's like kids pirate songs and nice I've good idea played many gigs dressed up as a pirate with a beard of snacks and uh, <laughs> if you haven't checked it out, you can go Google it. It's all over. I uh, did a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it really, it's great for kids that, are, that like, there's a sweet spot between like six and 10, I think, that uh, where kids are not too afraid of pirates and not bored of them. So like it, right. it's uh, right in there. <laughs> I actually had I played a New Year's gig at for Northampton's uh, first night, at which was actually that was the first Snackbeard gig I'd played in a while. But um, it was great; it was probably the best one ever. There was like packed with all kids of the right age and their groovy Northampton parents, and uh, mm -hmm. you know I got to. That, it must be super fun to do that. Oh, super fun! You throw out chocolate gold doubloons <laughs> at, at the crowd, and uh, you know. It's uh, it's begging for a bigger budget, Jim. You know, it needs to be like a, a Broadway show or a off off Broadway show. Um, but it has a whole story. The whole the whole record has like all this narration and stuff in between. I sort of wrote a whole vague little pirate trajectory of uh, someone who joins a pirate crew and goes through all these things. So that's fun. So that was like a, that was my last big whole record accomplishment probably that mm -hmm. was probably like four years ago or so um, when, this, when you go out and play when you go out and play this is it like the same same sort of i know it's not you don't always play with the same guys but you you know the whole all the guys in the scene in in uh western mass so is, are you just playing with some of those guys or are there new people involved or is it it's just me when i play those gigs it's just me but um, it's straight it's a solo act yeah, I mean, there was definitely, I had a bunch of guest stars on the recording, um, which I'm very grateful for. Some of them are extremely talented, and I'm really glad that they came and played on the CD because uh, right. it came out great. Um, they're, they're exactly what I needed, like people that knew how to do these things, like steel drums and violin and stuff that mm -hmm. I can't play myself. But I've done other stuff too, and then I do, I've been doing this like, one-off like dance pop tunes that i for right. whatever reason just got into like being like i could do this like let me just see if i could produce some dance pop tunes and i worked with a number of female vocalists that i just paid to learn the songs and sing them right um most of them have have you know come out pretty well for just this random relationship with uh someone i don't know that much except for what the first person I did it with is a girl I toured with for like a year who you might remember, Seti. I do. That was like right when I was living in Hadley. I had uh, mm -hmm. had hooked up with her and basically toured with that band for the better part of a year at least. And she was the first one to do one of the dance pop songs with me. You know, she's been living out in Wellfleet on the Cape uh, with her family and mm other than just playing in the local pub, uh, doesn't really do much music anymore. So she was psyched when I called her up. She's like, all right, I'll come do it. <laughs> I'll do that. That sounds and, awesome. Yeah, and I think her mom still lives out here in Longmeadow, so she does come out here on, on occasion. That's one of that one of those one of those songs. I remember I, I saw it on, well, I can't remember if it's SoundCloud or Bandcamp or wherever you posted it, but I, 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 I listened to one of them, but I remember one of them, like when you were first writing it, and I think that you were probably writing it back in the Hadley days, just for some, just for some, um, context, 
um, long time ago in the, in when I was a student, this is context for you. This is context for the audience. This, right. <laughs> back in the in the in the old student days, my uh, my friends lived in a house in Hadley, Massachusetts, and we were all about you know nineteen, twenty, twenty one years old. And Tom moved in. Tom's a little bit older than us, and we just thought, Tom, this guy, this guy, Tom, like he he's come. He just got back from Los Angeles. Like he's <laughs> he's really good musician. He plays guitar. He's he he's seen it all. He's done it all. We were we we're kind of in awe and very glad that you wanted to move into the house. <laughs> I know, I know. And then, and then, like soon after, you learned that I actually wasn't straight from Los Angeles. I had actually been living on my friend Leslie's couch in Amherst for a couple months and driving for Domino's Pizza. Um, so, kind of a kind of not a very rock star ending to a rock star. Or is it a- though? But is it? <laughs> I think I, I, but that's, that's kind of the thing. Like we were all in awe of, of your, of your abilities and rightly so you do have, you have remarkable abilities, but also, you know, you had done stuff and let's put it this way. We were a bunch of guys who valued the experiences that you had accumulated and it was, it was fun for us, but also you knew all the rock guys in Western Mass and like that. Now we know all the rock guys in Western Mass. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're all just old, so it doesn't even matter. But, but, uh. But we, but I would say mu- the ones of us that are still alive are still making music. So I, yeah. that's that's great. It makes me happy that I live here still. You know. But that song in particular, one of oh the song that I'm thinking of is Electricity. The I oh remember. yeah, that was old. I think I had like an old demo version of that. That that uh, I don't know if someone else sang. I don't think I had ever quite fi- found someone to sing on it though. She said he did not sing on that one, but there was another. So girl. I feel like I heard a recording of it, and I was like, "Dude, I know that song." There was a recording of it. It might have been me, like singing falsetto for the okay. part or something. Yeah, eventually there was a a woman from upstate New York that I randomly just like posted something on Craigslist or something that said looking for a female vocalist, but you know, here's here's what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, and she just came out. I paid her a couple hundred bucks and uh, she learned uh, a couple songs. I think she did at least two or three songs, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And she did them pretty well. Um, I think I'm going to try to remember her name. Kylie. Kylie, I think her name was. I'm um, sure it's on the site. <laughs> she did a few songs and she did the electricity song as well. Nice. Um which is like rife with like uh, outre uh, sexual innuendos, but uh, um. well, I remember you saying. I remember you saying specifically. It's like this is a dance pop song. I want to sell it to someone like Paula Abdul or something. Totally. Well, you know, I had met Paula Abdul when That's I was it. in L.A. And I was I like, ah, if I could just get Paula Abdul could do this song, it'd be perfect for her. Um, but I neglected to get her phone number when I was when I met her out there. So. Uh, so that always didn't... be networking yes i know see i should have because the, the whole time the time that i met her in the lobby of this law firm out there and i was waiting to see somebody and she was waiting to see somebody and there was another guy there who was also like a songwriter who was just like instantly networked you know he was just yeah, like yeah, yeah, walked yeah. over to her and was like here's my card go please uh can we can we, can my man you know can she's like you can call my manager if you got a song whatever um and i was just like that <laughs> Hey, Paula Abdul. <laughs> I was never good at the business part of music. No. No. 
I, I feel like most people probably aren't. Um, no, some people are. Some people are a lot better at that than they are at the music. So that explains the general <laughs> mediocrity of a lot of uh, American music. <laughs> Boom. Um, what matters to you, you know? No, nah, for real. But yeah, as far as like, I've always known you've had you've had different jobby jobs. As far as I've known you, you've you've worked at the the Advocate, which is like the culture newspaper, which is pretty it's a pretty cool job. Back, uh, for a jobby it, job, that's a pretty cool one, right? It was a pretty cool one. Um, it paid terribly. Um, yeah, I can imagine. But you know, for someone who's like a single guy with housemates, it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I did have some form of bad health insurance and and uh <laughs> um it's better than no health insurance and there were a lot of perks too you know you got a lot of free tickets to cool shows and stuff so you know i saw right a on. lot of you know i got a lot of s- pairs of 60 dollar tickets for free and i uh, got to see mm-hmm. a lot of great shows at the calvin and the iron horse and the wherever else mountain park i saw the flaming lips there that was awesome oh cool um, and a couple other shows that Willie Nelson, I got to be up on stage with Willie Nelson, uh, randomly, just like, <laughs> that's we, pretty awesome. Well, my friend John, who's in the stone coyotes, I was like, we ran into him and he's like, come on, well, let's go up backstage. We'll be a Willie Nelson. So we got to go up and we just stood on the back of the stage <laughs> while he was playing, you know, the guy's like 80 years old. And it, yeah. And he, and the sad reality is he has this huge digital clock, like facing up at him, like a monitor that's like, ticking down telling him how many more minutes he has to play oh that's kind of weird <laughs> well yeah when you're 80 years old it's like all right almost there just a couple more songs and i can get back to my trailer <laughs> gotta get the electrolytes <laughs> hey if i'm still doing that when i'm 80 i'll be i'll be very happy well you probably will be i mean, yeah, if, I, I mean not... if i'm 80 if i make it to you 80 could, you could actually just grow out your beard and put snacks in it and you could be like real snack beard, extra scary snack beard, <laughs> extra. <laughs> like extra creepy the guy. Stuff that nightmares are made of. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, something out of a Stephen King book. <laughs> so, all right, so you've worked all these 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 different types of jobs and embrace the embrace what they all have to offer, but. As far as I know, you you want to be a musician when you grow up, and you are a musician. I mean, it would be ridiculous to say that you aren't a musician. You you are a musician. Oh, and- I, for my whole life, and and well, not my whole life, but since I've been twelve or something, you know, since I yeah. my son is twelve now, and uh, he's been a musician longer than me. Well, he will have been longer than me because he started taking lessons when he was like nine or ten so- from somebody other than you. Yeah, no, we got we um, hooked him up with a, a really cool music school that's right downtown in East Hampton here. And he learns a, a interesting variety of stuff that's clearly mm-hmm. somewhat designed just to teach him how to play the instrument and also just to sort of get his head all over the place. It, it works mostly on like jazz stuff, it, it jazzy oh, sort okay. of bluesy stuff and, and uh, an occasional slightly classical type piece or something but what well, cool did, did you take did you take lessons because i remember back in the hadley days i don't know after after the bars closed or whatever one night we were sitting i don't know why it was just the two of us at the hadley house in the living room and you were playing this stuff and explaining very intense music theory to me <laughs> I, I mean, I was... I'm, not, I'm not helpless in music theory i understand <laughs> 
intuitively <laughs> i understand a good bit of what's going on in music theory uh -huh. i'm just sort of illiterate you know like my my actual music reading skills are like at a third grade level like my son reads music far better than me at yeah. this point because that's how we initially learned it you know and and okay I, I took guitar lessons for a couple years, maybe, when I was his age, and I learned how to read like chord charts and stuff like that, and a little bit of uh, reading actual staff music, but mostly, I uh, since then, I've just learned everything by ear, and my, my ear got really good, and I, to yeah. the, point, the point where I can, just, I can just sit down and listen to a song and probably figure out how to play it, like, just mm -hmm. by listening to it once. You know all the songs, by the way. I mean, I, know all I don't the even songs. know that you know. Yeah, I've got like, they used to call me the human jukebox. For um, real. It's, because it's I show up at a party and, and whip out any ridiculous song, you know, one hit from the 80s that you always wished you could forget, but <laughs> um, is still, still there in the zeitgeist. Right. But yeah, but my reading skills were never phenomenal, and I never made a huge effort to improve them. So um, yeah. I, I think like once you learn so much the other way, like when when you're you've already learned how to do this by ear so well that you don't really need that. Mm -hmm. it, it's well, not yeah, big... I mean, if you're not playing with an orchestra and you're not getting hit or like if you're right. not in the Saturday Night Live band and they're not handing you out like the right. pages for the performance tonight, then who cares? Right. If right. you're just playing with dudes who also have the skills that you have, then you just feel it out and then it happens. Yeah, right. Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. And who knows what Emmett, well, Emmett's my son, uh, who knows what he'll, his musical life will evolve into. But he has started playing in a couple of the school jazz bands. Mm -hmm. So at least that's sort of exposing him to playing with other people, you know, try, not just sitting and practicing in his living yeah, room. Yeah, for sure. That's um, a good experience. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, learning to read the music, of course, it's it's a good skill to have. I mean, most of the musicians I know don't know how to do it, but it's it's still it's still a good skill to have. But the... When I was in high school, I was in a band and the guys in my band were in the jazz band as well. You know, like I think that that might be a key component to getting people started playing in rock bands and when they're in high school, like yeah, because they're in those situations that they, they, so. they, they make the move pretty easily. It's 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 a good place to, to learn those chops, I think. It's fun. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Well, I hope it's, I mean, his, you know, living through this pandemic and everything, like his biggest challenges have been social. You know, the How old is he? He's 12 going on 13. And, uh, okay. and he's, uh, you know, at least the last three years of his life have been dr drastically affected by pandemic and, and mm -hmm. also, also just by the proliferation of the screens, you know, like it's all, oh, mm -hmm. there's just, he's so kind of addicted to the screens and I'm always trying to cut him back on that and try to get him to do different things and it's hard you know all the kids are the same way it's not just him it's just like mm -hmm. everybody I don't know about your what how old are your kids nine and eleven I, I don't know the, I don't think it's it's not as bad as some but I can see it like we they don't have a, their own phones or anything but we have an old phone with games on it and stuff yeah. and they play with that and then we have yeah. an a really old, crazy, crappy iPad that they play games on, and they play these stupid browser-based games on the laptop. I, I don't understand why they want to do it, but hey, it's not my choice. But they're, but they're, but they're like super. They they almost always ask before, like, 
can we can we do this it's like uh, yeah sure <laughs> sure okay go ahead but i i i feel like with with my oldest daughter she's going to be 12 in september i i feel like it, the floodgates are about to open and it's going to get crazy but yeah Emmett does not have a phone either, but he does have a uh, an iPad, which he's just always watch. He watches like YouTube video, and you know what he does? He wa- he watches YouTube videos of dudes playing video games, and just oh my god, talking, why talking? <laughs> I don't about understand. It. It's like <laughs> and it's like all the all the all his friends do the same thing. It's like they watch these YouTube videos of these, and you and in some ways like. You know, the entrepreneurial uh, guy in me is always kind of amazed on some level by like that. I like this. You know, you look at this guy, this guy, and all he does is play video games and record himself mm-hmm. babbling about it. He's 22 years old, and he has like he's not million, even funny. He's got three million <laughs> followers, and like and, you know, I know you, you Google these guys, and they have like a net worth of like 20 million dollars. It's insane. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, how how did I not figure that out? You know, like, I, I guess I just missed that uh, instinct or whatever. I mean, they must, I mean, they do make a lot of videos. They're very productive. So yeah, it's, it's not like they're not putting the work in. It's just, I don't understand why that work is valued. It, I, I just don't get it. I just don't, I also don't understand why you wouldn't just want to play the game yourself. Right. Well, they do play the games themselves too, but I think that's part of the reason why they do it is, they can bond like with the number one, like sometimes they'll learn like tricks and things that, that, that help you get through the game. And then, okay, okay. And then oh, the other, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, other yeah, part yeah. is sometimes the, the guys will do like really silly things in the game, you know, like they, they'll just like <laughs> off script things, uh, you know, whatever, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> there'll be like, like 500 orcs, like having a picnic or something. And, and uh, <laughs> they'll just do these ridiculous things like just for the sake of doing them <laughs> right right <laughs> so what so what but what is his instrument of choice what's his instrument piano of choice? he plays piano and does he do you guys have a piano in the house an actual piano I do i actually just paid it off like a real i bought a brand Dude. new acoustic piano i've been wanting to have one of those my whole life um yeah. actually I had one for a while that i got for free but it was just a terrible I and mean, it was a junker and it was just impossible to keep in tune and you know pretty mm-hmm. much beat to hell but there's a brand new yamaha sounds great I have my I actually a guy I used to do work some work for a piano tuner friend of mine um comes and tunes it whenever he needs it and uh mm. and, I, and I just paid it off so it's like it's all mine it's a brand like uh only That's a couple, couple of years old and 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 I'm very grateful to have it not only for my own satisfaction but because he plays it all the time right, so of course um, of course what does he does he also I, like this this is this show I asked you on but I I'm actually curious about what the what the kids are into as well so but considering that he's a young burgeoning musician and he he and his specialization is keys does he make beats and and uh do midi stuff on 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 the computer not yet um I could see him getting into that so that may that may happen in the next few years yeah. we'll see yeah I, he definitely has the skills to, that he could probably start doing. Oh, for that. sure. Um, I do, if you I have, have a, musical knowledge, like learning the the way the the computer stuff works is easy. Yeah, and I have a great. I have this uh, what I'm recording on right now, which is uh, let me see if I get it. It's Acid Pro Suite. It actually comes with a zillion different beats and samples, and st- I mean, uh-huh. like literally half of the dance pop stuff that I make, I, I build in, in in loops. 
I'll layer probably like eight different drum loops and rhythm tracks, and uh, right. sometimes I'll put like a live bass on it, or uh, or I'll take a sampled bass and I'll edit it and meticulously uh, pitch shift it and stuff so I can create melodies or bass lines or whatever. And uh, and then there's you know all sorts of synth loops and pads and stuff, and you you can really build you can build a lot just even even without ever plugging in an instrument. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. So one of these days I'll try to turn him on to that and see if he uh, see if he's interested in latches on to it. Yeah, yeah. And what does he listen to? What 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 do kids his age listening to? Unfortunately, his favorite kinds of music is like this just modern pop stuff, which is uh, you know. Oh, I'm trying to think of uh, probably won't even know, but I don't know. Like like you know, just the the top 40 stuff basically like uh the weekend and and uh okay he was i mean i kind of know that because yeah he was very into imagine dragons for a little while and uh, you yeah, know i couldn't get into that but i've been exposed to them enough to like be able to find some value in their skills sure. and talents um, i think they're good i just don't like it particularly yeah. you yeah. know i just i don't care but he loves it and, and a lot of it's very melodic and fe- features you know very good singers and and yeah he sings along with it so i'm happy for that and uh you can right. hear, him, hear him sing in the in the shower he likes to memorize nice. like he <laughs> he also loves eminem like he loves to like uh memorize like a zillion rap lyrics and and yeah uh, totally he's pretty good at it so um so that's part of his uh raison d'etre as well musically that's pretty cool it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that turns out i i I don't know that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that my kids are that interested. Like all their whole lives I've been making mixes and trying to expose them to things. And then the stuff that they end up latching onto, I'm just like, oh, it's just, I just can't handle it. It's, and I don't want to discourage them, but it's, it's all, it's, it's it's often very difficult to hide my revulsion (laughs) because it's just so bad. (laughs) Well, there is a, yeah, there are a handful of like, interesting innovators like that that come out every year or two yeah and emmy likes some of those too like the little nas x he likes and uh i'm trying to think of the guy's name he has like three names but he made that really freaky video where he gets killed in a parking garage uh i can't remember his name uh it doesn't matter <laughs> I, I just know like i'm definitely not the target demographic and uh it shows Mm. It shows, but I have been trying to broaden my horizons. It's just one of the things I do. Yeah, and I want to know what the kids like because I want to hear what they're interested in. You know, like I and I try to figure out why. Like sometimes I understand why I just don't like it, and then sometimes I really don't get it at all. But it's also like you know, like there there are guys out there like Kanye, and I straight up don't understand. But I also. I, what, I'm not even talking about like his anti-Semitism, his anti-Semitism. And I think all that he's stuff. just like, crazy. You know, he's just I, like but one that's, of those like, but, people. Like, that's is he like, crazy or like I? Is it just because he's crazy? Like I, I really don't know. But like for a while, I was just like, I don't know what's going on here. But I feel like there's value. I oh yeah, Kanye has made some great records when he back in the day. But like, but now he's. I think I feel like he's crazy by virtue of being famous for x number of years you know just like being that's too removed from the rest what of happens. us yeah it's what happened to michael jackson happened to like yeah right, right, to right so many people and yet they just 
they just start living in this bubble reality and and like only yeah. certain pieces pieces of information pierce their bubble and mm-hmm. and that begins to shape them into these bizarre people that really have no idea like what's going on in the world like for right. most people so that's what i think happened to him I don't. I am unaware of Kanye's origins, uh, so I don't know where he comes yeah. from. But I do feel like he used to not be so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like you know, you know. Sometimes you go to a you, you see art and you're just like, uh, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure this is legit, but I don't right. know why. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's what that's what art is supposed to do to you, right? Like, right. It's, exactly. It's like, there's there's something there, but you can't really explain it. And you don't like, ask me oh. to tell you. Yeah. Which, you know, contraindicated by the many art history classes I took in college. But that's their job. Their job is to ensure that they and their people have a job. Right. <laughs> exactly. In perpetuity. Yes. If, uh, you know, if we can't explain it to you, then uh, you'll never understand. <laughs> yeah, it's just not true. But it's still, I, I do, I love, I love art history classes. I used to sit through them all the time when I worked at Wellesley. I used, one of the, I used to be like AV guy, so I would support all the lectures and all the visiting artists yeah. and all mm-hmm. the visiting lecturers and and so i would sit i sat through hundreds of lectures while i was there and it's it's like it's very enriching it's i'm very sure enriching. you absorbed quite a bit of knowledge yeah i did i've also forgotten a lot of it but still <laughs> it was it was good exposure but you know whatever it's good to expose yourself to things even if you don't like them i suppose yeah, yeah probably so you when did you get your first real six string and was it at the five and dime? Was not at the five and dime. It was at uh, Swarthmore Music, where I grew up in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. Okay. I, it was a Hagstrom hollow body. It was pretty nice, jam, dude. Jamming guitar. Like it's actually like probably considered vintage now, but at the time it was like a $60 guitar that my parents bought for me. So it was like a hollow body, uh, huge guitar that. You know, you could play acoustic or electric because it plugged in. It was probably too big for my 12-year-old body. Um, There's a picture of me somewhere uh, having that uh, guitar. But yeah, that was my first real six string. And uh, and I then I that went along with a a year or two of lessons um, upstairs, like via the music store. I think they had their. That makes sense. My first my first guitar teacher's name was Chip, and he was. I'm going to guess he was probably around like 26 or 27, mm-hmm. um, but he looked older because he had like a big mustache and like crazy sideburns. And, you know, after the requisite like Iron Man or, or uh, Smoke on the Water, like the first right. songs I learned on the guitar, he taught me some other things that were a little more interesting. I mean, he was a big Jackson Brown fan. He taught me how to play Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. And, nice. Uh, classic and then for whatever reason i don't know if he left or something i I only took lessons with him for maybe eight or nine months and then he left um i'm sure he had a band or something too and went off and was doing stuff then i got this other guy who was sort of like an older i don't know if i'm gonna say he was like a vaguely italian guy who was very into like this classical sort of flamenco guitar stuff and could just rip it like nobody's Mm -hmm. business but he was a terrible teacher. He would like I would go <laughs> to him and like literally I would sit there and watch him play like Eddie Van Halen like uh, classical guitar riffs or something and yeah and I'd be like wow you're really great and he's like all right see you next time that'll be another twenty five dollars or whatever you know like <laughs> that is a terrible I, teacher <laughs> I did not really learn anything from that um, so I didn't last all that long with that guy 
And then I pretty much after that, I just was self-taught after that. You know, I just mm. would literally I was like the kid who would sit. I had like a turntable and I would sit there and move the needle back like a hundred times to figure out like a Jimmy Page guitar solo. Uh-huh. Um, and I did that on many a record. So that was the beginnings of my guitar existence. Why, what, what made you want to start playing guitar? I will tell you, Jim. Thanks. This is, uh, this is probably not uncommon either. But so, well, I mean, everyone thought guitar was cool at the time anyway. Yes, um, indeed. But at the same time, like it was literally so like Eddie Van Halen was like my hero. By sheer coincidence, Valerie Bertinelli on One Day at a Time was like the, yeah. girl, the TV cru- biggest TV crush for me. And totally. When I saw that Eddie Van Halen was marrying <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli, I was like, "That's I gotta what you got to do." Play guitar, man. I got to. <laughs> if I could learn how to play guitar, then I could be Eddie Van Halen, and I could get the girl like Valerie Bertinelli. Yeah. So that true. is the inglorious uh, inspiration of why I started playing guitar. Yeah, Valerie Bertinelli is the face that launched a thousand ships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so I may, yeah, maybe, and maybe launched a thousand guitar players too. I don't know. Yes. And of course, we're going to talk about the new record. I, I actually I emailed you before I got the publicity spam, but I was reminded to follow up because of the publicity spam for the new, for, for the new, for the new record, which yeah. I have listened to a few times. Oh, I'm glad that you've listened to it. Not that anyone actually owns a CD player anymore, but uh, <laughs> but I did just uh, get CD. I ordered like 100 CDs. It was like, I think it was like 150 bucks or something. And uh, mm-hmm. Oh, really? 150 yeah, just, bucks? <laughs> yeah, just to send out for promos and like smells freshly printed. I yeah. don't know. There's, there's something about it that I like just because it's physical. Of course. Um, of course. So I, I listened to it on both on the website i think there's a link in the in the email you sent out and yep. i will include that in the show notes um and i listened to it on title as well so if i don't know if you can see the stats but if you see the the netherlands that's me okay uh, like i can see well i can see when my like royalty statements come through that'll be like oh yeah st- two cents from the netherlands and not even it's like uh <laughs> zero cent it's like a, a half of them are like literally zero cents for like even for like multiple streams but right. I think actually the European ones actually pay you a little bit more for some reason. Okay. And maybe they just have some law that's a little slightly more respectful of artists or something. <laughs> but Very, uh, Like this much more. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I'll do? I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to make an effort to just leave it on repeat. Yeah, leave it on whenever repeat. I leave the house. <laughs> if you have any, uh, if you have any uh, algorithmic skills of uh, programming stuff, so that like everyone is always listening to it, or if I, mean, I had I'm, algorithmic skills, people would be listening to this podcast. Right, well, well, I'm fully <laughs> expecting uh, to be famous in Europe because of this podcast. You're gonna, so. you're gonna get the turbert bump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, 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 Excellent. don't hold your breath. Someone's gonna. I know. I know that someone's gonna listen to it. I mean, there's a there's a handful of people who listen. Thank you guys. You're the best. Uh, what else do I got here for you? I got. Uh, you've been right. You you started playing guitar. How how long have you be- actually been writing songs? Oh geez, I think I I've been writing songs since I could put three chords together. Really, like uh, you know, other than um, Valerie Bertinelli. My primary need for for being a musician is to express myself. So I've definitely yeah, and I and I like words too. So I, I've you know that that art of lyric writing has evolved alongside my knowledge of making music and melody and stuff. 
Yeah, no, I've always been writing. Like literally, I I wrote some terrible songs when I was like fourteen years old. And I can uh, imagine, but you know, <laughs> good on you though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like thankfully, I don't really remember those. But uh, <laughs> um, but there's also like probably great songs that I've written that I don't remember, unfortunately, because I never recorded them or never you know right. wrote them down and any or lost the lyrics or something. And mm-hmm. I like to think that uh, that is like sort of self selection or whatever, but. Yeah, I still have plenty more. I've I probably still have sixty or seventy decent songs that I'd still like to record that haven't been recorded yet. Thankfully, I don't write at a pace like I used to. Like in my twenties, I would write I'd write a song like every week or something, and and uh, now I'm lucky if I write like a song every year. Well, that's a different pace, but it's still you still well, you got I'm a cache ca- of songs. Yeah. That's that's what that's. I'm catching up, you know, and like this, this record, the Vegas Nerve Reset record is all, all, well, not all, but almost all the songs were written literally probably 25 years ago. Okay, interesting. So about, I don't know, like a dozen years ago or so, I I went and recorded a whole mess of them, probably 25 or 30 songs, just in acoustic guitar and vocals. Bit just like basic tracks in uh, in Mark Miller's studio, which at the time was Slaughterhouse in um, in West Hampton. It was at the time, mm-hmm. and then it just sat on the shelf for a decade plus. And then you know when I ran out of pirate or dance projects, I was like, <laughs> "Wow, what do I want to do now?" And I was like, "Why don't I do this?" And Mark still has all these tracks, so I was like, oh, "You know what? I'm just gonna like flesh them all out." Yeah. So that's what I did with this record. I just basically gradually over the course of the last year put bass on them, put more guitars on them, played drums on them, played keyboards and whatever else, uh, did extra vocals and backing vocals and kind of really fleshed them out um, from just these raw vocal and acoustic basics. And and I have a whole, I have a whole other album's worth that I'll probably do in the next year that, that'll be the rest of this project. There's still a, a deep well of stuff I can draw from. I'm not alarmed that I'm not writing songs at the pace that I used to. When you moved in with the guys in Hadley, one of the things that we learned from you, I, I know I learned from you, I'm going to say we, because I know that some of the other guys latched onto this as well, is you have this deep appreciation and understanding of the pop song as an art form. And I feel like guys like us like Ed, Andrew, these guys, Mm -hmm. we were like dismissive of a lot of pop music. When we were introduced to you and your, your song craft. And I feel like you, you infused pop music back into our lives. Maybe we had an appreciation for it when we were younger. And then you came in, you're like, no, man, this stuff is great. It's like magic. I can hear your influences and I can, I, and, but also just like the magic of the hook and the the magic of the 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 turn of the phrase the clever like the cleverness of the the, the turn of the phrase it, it's uh I, I feel like that's that's one of the things that you gave me a deeper appreciation for and i really i i thank you for that you're <laughs> because welcome I, I feel like it was a very cynical time in, in 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 rock music and like being reintroduced to the joy of pop music I, I feel is like a thing i can remember talking to other people not in my immediate circle of friends like um what was it when uh when when jack white like every, jack white was the cool guy 
and he started working with Brendan Benson and they're like, people are like, who's this Brendan Benson guy? And then they go and they listen to a Brendan Benson album and Brendan Benson's like pure pop magic, like Mm -hmm. pop magician. They were, and these people are dismissive of it. And I was like, hold on, hold on guys. Awesome. Like this guy's a ninja. I feel like for some people you have to explain to them like the importance and the art of pop music. I don't, maybe you have some well, thoughts about that. Well, that's why I started <laughs> working on some of these dance pop t- because I just literally wanted to, I, I mean, honestly, half the time I make any kind of record, no matter what sort of genre it's in, it's just to see if I can do it, you know? And like, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gives me an excuse to study a whole new kind of music and like explore it and absorb it and like try to reproduce like the, the elements of what makes that a great thing, you know, like, mm. it, you know, you know, you pick apart like uh, Britney Spears' "Toxic," such a f- amazing song. Like every little <laughs> element of it, every little twang of like two seconds of surf guitar that they put in the song, or like yeah. it's just everything about it is great. And you can list, sit there and pick apart every little production thing that they do in it, and and every little writing thing they do with just like the turn of phrase or the music or the melody or the bass line or whatever. But you know, all that stuff goes back to Burt Bacharach and Carol King and like people that used to sit in the Brill building and write songs for everybody. (laughs) Geniuses. Yeah. You know, you never know. Like Carol King was like 16 when she started working at this place and she probably wrote songs that Sammy Davis Jr. was singing at some point, you know? <laughs> which is it's crazy. Like, it's just very bizarre, <laughs> you know. But it's like, but it, but it does speak to like the art and the value of of writing and and constructing pop songs and and, uh-huh. and yeah, that's very valuable to me. It's very. I don't know why. I don't know why. You know. You know. I I often go back to what John Lennon said one time, which I really always respected. Was and and this is from a guy coming from a relatively blue collar you know, background Mm -hmm. who was like pop songwriting is more of a craft than an art. It's like, it's like, it's like being a, it's like being a plumber or something, you know, you're, you're good at it because you learned how to put things together. Right. Um, (laughs) and that's pretty much what it was to him. And, and that's kind of, I mean, I think eventually it it became a little more than that to, to him, you know, once he started, you know, putting mind expanding, expanding his things mind. in his in his body and like it, you know, this the, the whole nature hanging out of, with conceptual artists. Yeah, <laughs> the whole nature of everything sort of changed. But uh Right. But up until then, like he his mind was very structured and and his he was a craftsman. He was he was writing songs like he was building a birdhouse or something, you know? Right. And uh and I always respected that sort of analogy and related to it just because I, I that's that's how I fancy myself more of a craftsman than a, than a true artist is for you know I'm no I'm not like Bjork over here I'm not like uh, I'm I'm not like exploring the You're kind of like edge Bjork or, I mean kind of but you know prettier pop music is is uh, is a big thing and uh, I love it and some of the some of the new songs on the record I uh, I should have. I should have it up here so I could see the titles, but there, there are two, I think it's the first one that, yep. uh, I mean, you always start off with a strong one, which is a good idea to do. There are, then there are a couple, like you bring the tempo down, but then I, it's like the fifth or sixth track canary. I believe it's called. I like that one. Um, those are the standouts for me. There's like two, there's two in the first three songs that, that, that I think, uh, are like super strong, almost like car carsy, uh, yeah, I'm, in, like, uh, I'm into pop that songs. sort of pop rock sort of 
And and honestly, I I I appreciate the feedback because I like someone asked me one of the friends of mine that has a has a local radio show here asked me like what's 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 the hit you know what's the what what's do you, the what's single the... yeah <laughs> and I couldn't answer him I was like you know I don't know I don't know if there is a single on this record I like hopefully there is but I don't know what it is I'm gonna go and with I... Canary off the top of my head okay but I think it's because I like the lyrics and mm-hmm. right now I can't tell you I don't remember exactly what it is but I feel like it's uh. I, I can't remember. I remember at the time being like, oh, yeah, no, I can't, I relate to this. I think this is this is good. I understand. It's like but there's also like the the double the double meaning of the canary in the coal mine and the learning to sing and like stage fright or whatever. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on there. Anyway, I liked it. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like I, I like that one too. That's definitely in contention for if there is a single on there. But I, I all don't right, know yeah, no, I, I, that's my pick for a single. You know, I put Kennel, which is the first song. I put that yes. first because it <laughs> okay. sounded just kind of like poppy and sing-songy enough to be, you know, like a catchy something. Like, and doesn't have doesn't have any bad words in it. You know, it's just a weird allegory, but like it draws uh, you in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, I probably like. Uh, 85% of these songs are just about a girl, you know, but um, there's a couple <laughs> that aren't, that are a little more sophisticated maybe, but yeah. Into the Sea, is a, that's a, a sort of a departure. It's like a, I used to, I called it my fake Celtic song. It was sort of the working title because that's more just a sort of a deeper reflection on the state of the world, I guess, and, and All right. the, the way that people look at life. Well, and then some, there's some things that are about a girl, but not the way you think. Like the second song, Susie Somebody, it was very disturbing, actually. It was about this woman I met in L.A. who was drop-dead beautiful. She lived in, like, the other half of this little guest house that I rented in Silver Lake um, for a little while. And she just told me her whole life story, and it was so tragic. But I would give her a ride to drive. She didn't have a car, even though she lived in L.A., which is, like, insane. how, how can you not have a car when you live in L.A.? Yeah. Um, but so I would give her rides and drop her off at these crazy parties in like Beverly Hills and stuff. And she'd be like, thanks, I'll see you. But in the meantime, like she would tell me her whole fucked up story of how she grew up in Texas. Her father like murdered her mother. Dude. Um, she was like every possible tragedy you could think of like happening right. to a girl like happened to her. And then she came out to L.A. and started modeling basically like because uh, she was so beautiful and by virtue of that sort of got into this scene of parties and whatever, you know, modeling and, and probably occasional, you know, acting gigs of, uh, of, of someone who doesn't necessarily have acting skills, but, um, is very good looking. So they look good on screen. Yeah. It's so important. that song is about, is about her and, and, and just the whole idea of how some, cause there were a lot of people like her in LA, like that had just grown up in some fucked up, you know, childhood in in rural America and for whatever reason made their way to L.A. because yep. it was like a dreamland for them sure. and, and they were going to make it there or something. I mean, I, uh, myself among them, but, but you know, <laughs> with a less tragic childhood. <laughs> I want to talk about the desire to make a hit. Uh-huh. You've been doing this for a long time, and I think it's fair for me to assume that your main passion in life is creating music. That's definitely in the top two or three. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that earlier in in uh, in your career, you went through phases of having just having a band or like really kind of going for it and like doing the publicity thing and, you know, making a go of the thing. 
But eventually you have to come to the conclusion that maybe that's not going to work out some point for better or for worse. Yet you keep doing it. Yes, yes, that's that's called the uh <laughs> the curse of the artist or the uh something like something to that effect where That's kind of what I'm like, getting at. <laughs> it's kind of like you you, you kind of can't stop doing this. It's not like something that you want to do, it's something that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And whether you ever make a penny at it in life or not, you still need to do it because that's that is the way that you found to maintain your own sanity and to express your, you know, anything that you're trying to express that maybe you don't express very well in other ways. So, yeah. Um, so you need to do this. It's like therapy for you. And I guess, I mean, really that more applies to just the making of the music and stuff and, and not so much the marketing or, which I still do that stuff too, just to mm-hmm. see if anything will happen. You know, I <laughs> you have, never know, I, you know, I spend hours like building lists of up to date, like music journalists and radio yeah. stations yeah, 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 yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And I solicit all of them with, uh, you know, meager success usually, but mm-hmm. you know, I try all sorts of things and I have a little more money than I used to because I do have a full time job as well and uh so sometimes i pay for little bits of uh promo service or whatever mm-hmm. and and see what that does and you know it's all just sort of an experiment and and the whole game and ge- i mean the whole music business in general is just a crazy crapshoot like for anybody you know yeah. obviously you're you have a leg up if you're if you have uh five million dollars in the bank and your name is miley cyrus that but, does help um, that does help it's still even even with five million dollars and being Miley Cyrus, you could still like completely be burning your money and not get a hit at all. You know, it's For it's sure. a whacked business because it's completely dependent on public opinion and and uh, it's kind of it's still even as much as you know people have drilled down everything into these digital numbers and every you know it's still just hard to predict what connects with people you know because Tell me about there's, it. <laughs> it's a whole generational thing it's a whole experiential thing you know there's no no guarantee that anything you do even if you've uh, constructed a pop song according to every parameter that your ai public connector thing <laughs> has told you you need to include references to this this and the other thing and make it sound like this and this was the biggest song that just just happened a month ago and make it sound like that and yeah even if you do all that you're just not guaranteed to connect with people you know connecting with people is a rare and beautiful thing still even in the ugly music business and it's still kind of a, a a rare and genuine thing when someone really breaks through and even if it's just someone wacky and, and it usually is someone wacky right it, it can, <laughs> i mean sometimes not i wouldn't say usually but but uh often enough you know I, who the guy that comes to mind is that guy sai who's the korean guy who did uh gangnam style oh god um, yeah <laughs> wacky insane, ass right? video totally. like they made up a silly dance to go along with it but no, but the but, uh <laughs> what i was thinking though was more like for, you, you know like so maybe you're not selling a million records but 
you go out and you play gigs and there's always like there or not always there's often like one dude at the show who really is just like super into it like whether you know that guy or not th- there like usually is yeah he's all which up is it? in it and, and you're just like dude which uh, is an awesome. interesting phenomenon yeah and yeah and sometimes you like wonder how that happened and yeah like, like are, uh, is this guy crazy or is he or are we connecting <laughs> Right. Probably both. But, uh, but you know, that's all part of it too, because the value of connection is that you have written and produced something that when someone listens to it, they're like, wow, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And, and when you do that for an entire generation at one time, then you're like Kurt Cobain or whatever, or you're, uh, you know, or even if it's just for a minute, you're, you're, you're Psy with Gangnam Style. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like, and I read this great interview with him at, who, you know, cause he's uh, clearly never been able to replicate that moment again mm-hmm. himself. Even, you know, he's never had a hit that came anywhere close to being that big. Sure. Not even in Korea. Um, uh, I mean, he was already kind of a personality in Korea, mm. but like when that happened, he was just like worldwide famous. Yeah, and I think he had never like billions attained, of hits on YouTube and stuff. Like yeah, billions. Never, never, <laughs> never attained anything close to that again in several songs that he's produced and put out uh, since then. So now he does. You know, he's got a production company and works with other artists and nice. and. Uh, that's a cool thing too. That's something I'd love to do, you know, and I've sort of dipped my toe in that with writing these dance pop songs, just trying to, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, and, and on some level, what I'm doing is, you know, basically making high quality demos that I've also sort of tried to pitch out in the songosphere of mm-hmm. like, you know, publishing companies and people that, whose job it is to find songs for bigger artists and stuff. So I've, I've definitely sort of tried to pitch those songs in, in that context too, even though I've released them, you know, independently as well, but you know, grand total of, you know, of under a thousand, uh, downloads or hits or whatever, you know, streams or, you know, someone could still definitely do any of, of those tunes. So if I find the opportunities, I'm still trying to pitch them to, you know, established artists because that, for, from a songwriter's perspective, that's a great opportunity if you can get in on that gravy train. Sure, sure, sure. Did you have the the desire for some sort of, I, I'm going to say recognition or the expressive urge when, when was that right from the start when you first started playing music or was it did you develop it over time do you know what i'm um, saying like i don't know that sounded kind of silly but like when i was a kid you yeah mean? like when you started playing i know you wanted to you you were down with Va- valerie bertinelli but uh like as far as when you started writing songs and stuff because let, let me just let me just tell you why why i'm wondering because i've always had the urge to be heard maybe it's because in my house, I just felt like I wasn't being heard or maybe I wasn't, Uh you know, like for whatever psychological reason, I remember at an early age before I really had any idea about actual art, I had ideas in my head about what art was. And I would sort of make these expressive drawing collage things with text and words and stuff. And they were super corny. Like that was what my idea of, of art was. Like I thought, oh, this is kind of weird and abstract. It must, it's art. And I remember doing that when I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. And I feel like that is 
not every i don't think everybody does that <laughs> and i don't think that everybody I writes songs didn't. no 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 no, well, no but it's like it's like a, it's like a it's like a it's like a drive to express something which which can manifest in songwriting it can manifest in painting it can manifest in photography it can manifest in whatever carpentry yeah even. i well yeah i definitely so i was like a visual artist before i was a musician um i was drawing since i was a very young child okay I, my, I don't know how much expression I was putting into it because I was more interested in the techniques and get, mm. you know, I was a big fan of comic books and comic book art. And I used to try to draw everything that I saw in the comic books and nice. I had my favorite comic book artists. And mostly they were very realistically, you know, the, my favorite comic book artists were the ones and my favorite, you know, once I got to college and stuff and, and studied like Renaissance art and, every, you know, every other kind of art under the sun, my favorite kinds of art were still realistic, you know, like they were how well can someone illustrate accurately like what they actually see in front of them? Mm. And I was never much of an abstract person. I mean, later in life, I came to appreciate things like that. But, you know, uh, via like Picasso and, and people who you can actually just see how their process from going from uh, someone who knows how to perfectly illustrate a human body to reducing it to four lines. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you can see that process in Picasso and it, and it evolved over his life. And, mm -hmm. and that's interesting to me. But what I always like to note is that you know before he reduced the human body to four lines he could perfectly uh render one in an extremely realistic fashion so you can't just start with four lines. i mean not to say that you can't but uh yeah i have much more respect for the fact that he chose to reduce reduce sure. the the motion or the body to to that after having extensively studied how to re realistically render it. Mm -hmm. So that was my first love. I sat around drawing comic book arts and stuff. And I don't know how much I was expressing at that point. I think I was just learning techniques. But it seems like it seems like it carries over into your thing. Like before you mentioned that the like the the mechanics and the 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 structure of creating a pop song, it's like nuts right. nuts and bolts. And yeah. it's like building well, more of a, a craft. A foundation yeah, more of a craft is what you said. Yep. I think, I, if anything, I probably f find more art. I mean, there's definitely art in constructing a, a pop song. Like sure knowing there is. How, <laughs> knowing how melodies fit over chord progressions and rhythms, mm -hmm. there's definitely art there just as much as there is science. And same with, I think it's even more obvious in writing, like just the, mm. the way that you good, good example. String, string words together, be it in a novel or a song or mm -hmm. a poem or whatever. There are definitely... I think there's even more room for art there because, you know, in, in music theory, there's probably only X number of combinations of notes and chords and everything and rhythms. Whereas in the English language, there's at least, what, 300,000 words or something. I so, don't know. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's more than there are options for, for constructing melody over chords and beats. So I think, but I if think you ignore a, the theory and and just make sounds, then then it's infinite, right? That's true. There, <laughs> well, and there's also you know Eastern Eastern uh, sort of modes of uh, music that are have many more semitones than sure. than ours. Sure. I mean, you can do the same thing with language, though. You could be E. E. Cummings and never right. capitalize anything <laughs> or use any punctuation and whether 
you're talking about a uh, literature or, or, or music or, or painting. I appreciate different artists for different reasons. Like I can appreciate the guy that's just 100% raw power and just blasts mm-hmm. out, you know, his damaged psyche. And then I can also appreciate the guy who sat, who woodshedded for 25 years and is a master right. of the craft. Like, yeah, it's like, and no. also with songwriting, it's like, sometimes, sometimes it's just like beautiful poetry. And sometimes it's just like words cut down to the most simple meaning that could possibly come from the word yeah. and and like gangnam style like gangnam style that's the, <laughs> it, it all. if you look, if you know anything about gang what what gangnam style is where he comes from the gangnam is like this it's like the posh like rich people area okay. of seoul korea it means a lot more than you think like mm-hmm. it's not just a catchy thing to say it's like there's a whole philosophy and, okay. and or social statement behind Gangnam <laughs> style, you know, it's right like on that we don't understand as like, Americans I definitely don't understand it, but oddly addictive. But yeah, I'm right there with you as far as like a being, a, having a great appreciation for both uh, mm-hmm. things, uh, the refined and the raw. Yeah. Um, the, I think the best things are probably combinations of the two. Sure. I, um, you know, yeah. I think I might agree with you. It's hard. It's hard to say the best things for me, but it, yes, I, I, I agree. Most of the time, it's both. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, some people would say you can ruin yourself too. They, I, I, my, That's for I, I've sure. taken a lot of art history classes too, and I go back to uh, the story of Henri Rousseau, who never had art schooling and developed his own incredible style. Mm-hmm. And to the point where, like, when he finally applied to art school, like he, like. He had already had these contemporary painters and stuff who looked at his stuff and they were like, Blown don't away. go to art school, dude. Like, you're you're just going to, like, you've made something incredibly cool all yeah. on your own here and don't ruin it with art school. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing has happened. You know, I used to play in a band called Tag Sale. I don't know if you ever saw us play, but... Uh, oh, I certainly did, yes. So most of the Tag Sale, or at least half of the Tag Sale songs were written by this guy, Bob Jensen, who didn't know shit about music theory. Like, Mm -hmm. he wrote every song because he knew some bar chords on the guitar. Right. And he put them together however the fuck he felt like (laughs) it. As a consequence, he wrote songs that no one else would have written. I could have never written those. Like, I would be like, that doesn't make any musical sense. That's cool. You you can't do that. (laughs) Um, But he would just put them together however he felt like it. Yeah. Well, that's a good lesson. Really cool. That was the reason I stayed in that band for a couple of years or whatever was mm-hmm. because like he would just write these songs and I was like, wow, that's that's cool. Like I could not have written that song. OK, so the biggest the big question for the podcast that I ask everybody is, do you feel successful, which is very broad and vague question. Answer it however you like. We can whittle down the answer after the fact. I mean, I absolutely feel successful as in far as just in growing myself and developing my craft and having spent many, many years sharing this beautiful thing called music with many people, mm-hmm. both people who listen to it and people who have played with me, people who I've played with their bands, and I would not have asked for another life. It's definitely... um like I said, there's been plenty of drama and <laughs> and uh, hard times. You know, it's not sure. easy being a musician for a lot of your life. No, it really it isn't. Definitely doesn't go with things like financial security mm-hmm. or relationship security. But 
man, a lot of good times and a lot of just living life, not, not just spectating. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for all that. And I think I, I've, I would consider all of that personal success in, in the sense of, uh, you know, growth and an understanding of yourself and what you're trying to do here on planet Earth. Sure, sure would let, be nice to have a little, like, financial success. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Other, other than the .02 cents that Spotify pays me every time <laughs> someone listens to a song. <laughs> but, but what, so what, what, like, if, if that were to come to pass, like, what, what does that mm-hmm. even look like? like indie rock star or do you want to be like Mick Jagger? Or do you want I don't want to, wanna, I'm like too old for that. Well, I guess Mick Jagger's, ah, Mick Jagger's way older than you or something. Yeah. But, but, but he was famous when he was 20. He was, so. he's been like, he doesn't even know what it's like to not be famous. I mean, it could take many forms. You know, I've had, you know, visions of Snackbeard becoming a minor, uh, children's music star. For real. That um, seems like it could, it's a viable option, a right? Other, I have a whole other concept, Jim, which, I, uh, whenever I find the time to make it, I, <laughs> I have a series of like parody songs that I've written. They're completely tasteless. <laughs> Excellent. And, and I people want love that. Them, I want them to be performed by another persona that I'm going to call Classic Brock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and as far as financial success goes, I'm not aspiring to like jet planes and five houses on tropical islands. Uh, yeah, I don't need to be That's like a bit Roger excessive. Waters rich, you know. I'd be happy to be able to pay off my house, you know, and send my kid to college. Yeah. Um, that that would be my reduced financial <laughs> aspirations as far as music goes. Interesting example, though, Roger Waters, because like I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure he has more money than anybody has any right to have. But he also doesn't strike me as someone who lives a- an incredibly frivolous life. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure on... he has a sweet ha- house and a really nice car, but I don't picture him having five houses. But I like, he's I... also like 80 and he's on like his fifth, like 25 year old wife. Or oh, something. OK. I see. I guess I just don't know enough about Roger Waters <laughs> as deep of a guy as he clearly is. Like he definitely enjoys the 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 shallow fruits of rock stardom. <laughs> Right on. But yes, he definitely has five houses and five wives and <laughs> right. et cetera. Five wives. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But I don't need that. I don't need that level of that. I probably wouldn't even survive that level of wealth. <laughs> I don't know. That's, 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 that's another interesting thing. Cause I feel like one time we were talking and you were like, I feel like I'm a really young soul. <laughs> I am a young soul. <laughs> But, you know, I, I live in an increasingly old body, so uh, there's no getting around that, you know. You could, well, I guess if you, Roger Waters probably also, in addition to his five houses and five wives, probably has like five stem cell milkshakes oh, a day. God damn, I wish I, I could really use one of those. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he only looks like 50 or something, even though he's probably more like 80. He's always been in pretty good shape. He's always looked pretty, pretty fit. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are those fruits of being wealthy of, uh, access to those age defying things where you, you go in and have your telomeres lengthened or something. Vampiric, uh, blood transfusion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> ah, to be rich. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those things are available. All right. Well, I, I mean, I guess that, that pretty much covers the, t- the, the main topics for the show. Emmett is your kid's name. Correct. Does he like your music? 
I've been very careful not to like push it on him, and even to, I've been careful not to push him into doing music that I always wanted him to do stuff, and he definitely has musical skill that one would like to think came from me <laughs> on some level. Um, but I don't. I've never been pushy about it. That's why I, I like that he takes lessons with somebody else. Sure, and, sure. And uh, and I've never been that pushy about my music, but I have played it for him on occasion, and he'll mm-hmm. he'll. I'll catch him singing it every now and then because he has a brain like mine that will remember catchy song melodies they are catchy. and songs. And, well, and, uh, I, I actually remember a time you were playing a gig in, in Cambridge and you stumbled your lyrics and I be, because I heard the song so many times I cued you in onto what the what the missed lyric was. <laughs> oh my god! You, you probably See, don't I remember need, that, but, the, I, but I need that. They're very catchy, is what I'm saying. Is what I'm saying. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, so in that sense, I am successful. Yes, <laughs> you've 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 accomplished the uh, the goal of 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 the 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 pop art the songwriter, form. the pop songwriter. <laughs> yes, to get something stuck in your head and to make you remember something. Do you ever jam with him? Emmett? Yeah. Yeah, I have on occasion. Yeah, my, my favorite jams with him, I have an electric piano downstairs uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in our whole jam space, and uh, I'll usually, I like to play drums, and he can play piano, and that's that's my favorite jams with him. Um, I have tried playing guitar while he plays piano as well, and um, it's a little harder, but um, yeah, no, we've we've had some good jams on occasion. Nice. Not, not frequently, but hopefully. It must be very rewarding. It seems like it would be very rewarding. To have well, a, it's definitely fun to connect that way. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's that frequent, but um, hopefully it will increase in frequently in frequency if he uh, gets more into music um, as the years go by. On a related yet frivolous note, who was the best guy you ever opened up for? guy best best artist best best act i really don't know i mean like I, that goes everywhere from uh, i opened up for john doe once in la oh at that's Alligator fun lounge um who I, I mean i know a little bit of like accent old mm-hmm. stuff like that but I, i'm not a super fan but um and i certainly wasn't when i got the gig opening up for you're him, just like someone, awesome someone cool got, someone got me the gig <laughs> and i me and my brother sat backstage and drank his beer and ate his food and <laughs> and uh and then played my little pop songs in front of his like deep like native la dude uh set i don't think he liked us but um, oh, well. i don't know we uh i I can't say who was my favorite. Probably more just local bands like Playtopia or something. Who? Oh who, yeah! Uh, oh yeah! Those guys were great. They had some great moments. I saw um, them open for. They opened for Pavement. That's a couple the one. Times. Yeah, I saw them. Um, I mean, I saw them in in the Valley a lot, but then I I saw them in Boston opening up for Pavement, which I thought was crazy. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. I I mean, I don't really know these guys, but I kind of know these guys. <laughs> They sounded great. They had like a great presence and and songs, and uh, we we definitely latched onto them a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, because of their the record was great too. Yeah, it really uh, was. So that was fun. I mean, things like that are what I really get into. Is like usually the experience for opening up for a bigger, more famous artist. It can be awkward and and. <laughs> You know, you will kind of wind up not liking them as a result of it because they're like, no, you can't, no, you can't sound check. No, you can't you use can't our equipment. No, you, everything has to be left the way it is yeah. for us. And, and you just get up there and sound like shit before us. 
<laughs> I mean, I sort of understand. I mean, not that you get up there and sound like shit, but, but I, I, I mean, I sort of understand because they're like on the road going from here to there to there to there. And they just don't want to deal with all the, the external stuff from every local band in right. America. But I, I, I get it. But, you but, know, have but, a heart, man. Some, <laughs> some are nicer than others. <laughs> right. Let's put it that way. Some are, some are more understanding uh, than others. I bet. I mean, it all depends on the day you have, too, I guess. But. I, I think for all of us, Jim, the, the key is to remember that, and I, and I learned this from working at a hospital, like I watched a great video produced by the Cleveland Clinic that we had to watch at orientation when I just started working at the hospital, and it was a, such a great video. It just like panned around the hospital, and it was just various people. And then suddenly like a, a subtitle would pop up under a woman that said, going in for her 40th uh, chemotherapy treatment or something. Boom. And it would cut, you know, pan over to another, uh, a guy sitting there uh, who's like uh, like a kid, like, uh, and it would say like, father in heart surgery right now or something, right. you know, and it, you just don't know. Any person you meet could be going through some really hard stuff mm -hmm. at any given time. And I think that, as humans, we are obligated to realize that as we go through life and every day realize that. Right on. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you if you had any parting wisdom, but you beat me to the punch. Uh, that's my parting wisdom. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks to the Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> I'm going to look that one up on YouTube. <laughs> oh, it might be out there. I don't know. If it, I mean, it was literally an orientation video. Yeah, no, so I don't, I'm not going to look I, it up. But I, I think it is on YouTube, actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, everything ends a, up on YouTube eventually. Yeah, it was a great video, and it just really makes you think about, like, any assumptions that you might have about anybody at any given time. Right. Like, just just don't don't make assumptions because you, you could be so completely— chances are you're completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Right on. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we're done. Uh, do All right. You, is there anything else you'd like to say? I don't think so. I think uh, you've you've done a great job of being a <laughs> podcast host and extracting <laughs> extracting whatever value I have to contribute. Uh, I'm sure that I missed. I'm sure I missed up. That's just the nature of things. Nothing is nothing is ever complete. Nothing is ever. That complete, is both no. the the folly and beauty of podcasting and life in general. Yeah. No. Every every single person that is on their deathbed, you know, their number one thing is i'm not done is that yeah. all there is but, like but, I, but. I, but yeah i was i'm not done what ha i can't i can't go yet yeah um so that is it, true or seemingly yeah maybe not everyone you know people that have been suffering for years probably are happy to check out but um but most people are like want to do more you mm -hmm. know they you know and that that's sort of the curse of human life especially sure the way we've set up society and like ninety five percent of people are are toiling away at things that are beneath their mental capacity, and uh, that's how it is. That is exactly how it is. Mm -hmm. That is not a very cheery way to end. But sorry, sorry. <laughs> but and, and peace and love to everyone. There you go. God, God bless us, everyone, Jim. <laughs> you and me and all the little children all right cool thanks for coming on the show it's i thought it was a lot of fun i hope you had fun yeah absolutely nice good we be in touch indeed take care brother bye bye that was tom 
it, it was really good to talk to him again. It's, it's been quite a long while. You'd never know it due to the length, but I edited this one down a fair amount. Tom is the kind of guy I could talk to for hours. And, and I know some of you are out there saying, oh, the episodes are too long. Yeah, I understand. They can be a little off-putting if the episode is longer than an hour, but I don't really see it as a problem. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I liked hearing Tom's thoughts about his son's musical development. They seem to have a healthy relationship. I also like that he mentions being artistically inclined as a child, but rather than being concerned with expression, he was concerned with the mechanics of drawing. And that ties in with the John Lennon quote he mentions about how pop music is a craft that one can learn and master, much like carpentry or whatever. Later on, or maybe it was before, he said that he was concerned with expressing himself. So it goes to show that people are an amalgamation of ideas and concepts and experiences and all that stuff. People are complicated, and you are no exception. Tom is no exception either. As an aside, I, I think it's kind of weird when, when you meet someone who does not seem complicated at all. It, ha- it happens sometimes, and it makes me feel like I'm being, um, like I'm being effed with. You, you know, it makes me suspicious. But there is no evidence of foul play or ulterior motives. So then I get anxious because I wonder why my internal alarm bells aren't going off. But I guess they kind of are. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Tom. That can be another show. I I also want to say that his response to the success question was a great one. All that about being content with his growth and his personal understanding makes me smile. Not that I can relate to it, but I envy and appreciate the optimism of his youthful soul. Of course, financial success would be nice, but ultimately, he seems to be doing pretty well. I, I realize we didn't talk about this much, but his jobby job sounds cool. He gets to make things for an institution whose main purpose is helping people maintain their health. And he has the time and means to make his own work and parent his kid. That's more or less the goal of a lot of artists I talk to or who I'm acquainted with. Also, he just paid for a piano, which is sort of like buying a car. So it's not a minor feat. I share your opinion that you are successful, Tom, and I hope that one of your projects will result in a later than expected career windfall. Listener, check the show notes for a ton of links. Tom gave me a few, and I tried to find as many as I could. You can search for Vegas Nerve Reset in your music streaming app. It's, it's probably there. And make sure that you get the one with the brain and nervous system illustration. There may be another one that is a mindfulness slash meditation soundtrack. That may be nice as well, but it's not what we're talking about today. I know it's on Spotify and Tidal. I did not check Apple, but it's probably there as well. In the list, I got a Big Ugly Wrench video. I got a Bandcamp link. Snackbeard is on YouTube. I, I found at least one song, Jolly Roger. SoundCloud.com slash Tom hyphen Sturm. You can find lots of his different projects there, including Sass and some older stuff. Anyway, go there. There are going to be hard links in the description of this episode. I will post some on social media as well. Additionally, I've dug up a little bit of archival footage uh, at my place. I'm missing some key artifacts at this point, but I plan to find and exploit them so you can share in the joy of my revisiting some of the good old days. Thanks for being on the show, Tom. And many thanks to you as well, dear listener. I appreciate your time and dedication. It comforts me to know that you're out there. If you have a few extra minutes, perhaps you'd like to leave a five-star review of Feel Free to Deviate on Apple Podcasts. I feel sort of dumb asking you to do that because I've listened to about a billion podcasts and I've never, ever left a single review. So I realize that it's a lot to ask. But you know what I have done? I recommend podcasts to people during casual or formal conversations. I humbly ask you to do both just to be safe. Or do just one. Or none. Do whatever you want. 
you owe me nothing, but but if you could just take a couple baby steps to make people aware of this podcast, I would really appreciate it. My links are feelfreetodeviate.com and buymeacoffee.com slash feelfree. That's just feel free, no deviations. It's a quick, easy, and painless way to offset the cost of production of this very show. Also, I am at Feel Free to Deviate on most, but not all, social media networks. Coming up in two weeks is... I'm not sure. Your guess is as good as mine. Let me know if you want to be the next guest. And I'm only half joking. See you in a couple weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.